in a world where the ideas of the capitalist class are journalism's ruling ideas, where meaningful criticism is quickly denounced as edgelordism, and where Game of Thrones references are somehow shoehorned into otherwise interesting discussions, one bear and one lady are turning their dragon fire on the global border regime and your heart. It's Knackers and the Vag. Comrade Worker, welcome to Knackers and the Vag. Knackers is a small factory made bear and I am a medium-sized Lady in decay, known as the Vag, sometimes also referred to as Miss, I'm unmarried, Miss Helen Razor. Now, it's been some time between episodes. That is because this is the special in the fashion of Elvis 1968. I am wearing not black leather, but well, I was wearing a little bracelet. I've been in psychiatric hospital and having a uh, a nervy break day. Um, I'm still a bit odd, so I do apologise, as do my guests who are inside me from the pharmaceutical industry, because, you know, drugs are for people who can't handle reality. And if you can't fucking handle reality, well, you know, there is an argument that just saying. There's also quite a good argument that um, mental illness is a construct that is helpful to capitalist enterprise. Uh, the argument is made in a book uh, that um, I sent to uh, Priscilla from uh, Patreon. Hello, Priscilla. Um, psychiatric hegemony uh, by a bloke called Bruce Cohen. And if you'd like to give yourself a very scholarly headache, why don't you go ahead and read it? I've read bits. I'm a bit dumb at the moment. I can't write, so I thought I'd give you know a little bit of a podcast to go. But it's interesting in that it introduces the concept of <sighs> – how should I put this? The, the, the way that a, a, a system just falls into place because it's not Cohen's view nor is it my view and it is a, a, a Marxist book that explicitly talks about how uh, the material world, people's experiences, business and all of that, you know, interacts with the idea, the idea in this case being mental illness goes through uh, all of the DSMs, that's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of uh, Mental Disorders. I've got four, four, three or four of them, four. It depends which shrink you ask. Um, you, they're various revisions and the growth over time of a business. Now, there are people including, what's his name, Johan Hari, who wrote uh, a book that I think was quite a, a bestseller, uh, called, oh, what is it, Lost Connections, right? And there's a few contentions that he makes in it that are okay, such as that the uh, this is an alienating time, this, this time of neoliberalism, right, which you probably know refers to a particular era of business management. It was finessed by that great woman in leadership, Margaret Thatcher, 
Australia actually adopted a lot of her uh, marvellous techniques, such as privatising fucking everything with competitive tender. It wasn't just Ronald Reagan, you know. Maggie Thatcher had a... What a fucking vicious bitch. Margaret Thatcher, dead at last. Um... You know where was I? Sorry, knackers. I I I do apologise. So Johan says in 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 this book. Okay, so you know the world is alienating. Well, yes, it is. But he comes up with the terrible conclusion. Uh, Schlutz, Julian, you who are also a Patreon and a psychiatric nurse, um, has said that the book was of great concern to him because people read it. It's a very emotional book about a man himself who was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and perhaps a range of other things. I don't know. I fell asleep at various parts of it because he says you shouldn't take antidepressants. Like, fuck that shit. Who are you, a Scientologist? Really and truly. But more than that, more than, well, not more than that, but equal to the fact that you know, you can read this when you are in a, in a depressed state and you have, I agree with Hari, have had the world and all its alienation imposed on you, you know, you can read it in an emotional state, maybe, you know, think, oh, well, you know, this guy and he's a journalist. What is a journalist? We might discuss that later. You know, he is a journalist and he says that there's a study that, and the way he presents it, is that it conclusively proves that big pharma are just in it for the money and, my dear, and comrade worker Nutbar that they don't work. Well, fuck off. Sometimes they do, you know, and I was, oh, trigger warning for those who have feelings of self-harm and whatnot, suicidal ideation, experiencing suicidal ideation, you know, not because I wanted to die, but it was just uncontrollable. Now, it's not an ideal situation, you know, like capitalism and distress, is it? But what are you going to fucking do? And and also you get, say, like the more common um, sort of, I don't want to sound condescending when I, can, when I say conspiracy theory because why shouldn't you think that there is a conspiracy about, um, you know, a conspiracy afoot in the world? And it is in fact true that so-called big pharma uh, do stand to gain by, you know, creating this idea that there's something called mental illness. Um, but, you know, so of course, you know, so let's agree that in many, many cases, the thing that we call mental illness is not just due to genetic or epigenetic factors that send you potty, you know, you were born with them. Let's agree, not just with Freud, but I think with um, Hippocrates, the father of Western medicine, uh, who said that there were, you know, two kinds of melancholy depression being what we now call depression, and that was the kind that uh, came um, for a particular reason and that which just switched on for no reason at all. You know, even Hippocrates said that a um, predominant form of what we now call mental illness, was in some cases the result of living fucking life, right? 
So I don't dispute any of that. And I don't want to be condescending and say conspiracy theorists, because I really do understand why some people think that there's a small group of um, of, of evildoers conspiring to, um, and in some cases there are, you know, make the world intolerable for the many for the benefit of the few, both true and not true. But when you say that it's all big pharma and it's all money, well, it's maybe true, definitely true in, you know, let's say for the sake of argument, yeah, fucking, of course it's true, right? And of course people are unnecessarily prescribed and of course there is this sleek version of depression which is sold for the contemporary times in which we live and all of that rot, right? But it's only – it's a detail, right? It's, it's, it's true. It's not fake news. It's factual, you know, and all of that. Like it's a fact. But it's one correct answer, right? Do, do you get what I mean, Knackers? So it's like you're doing a crossword puzzle to explain something and all you have done is answer, you know, 21 across correctly. But what else? I mean, you know, it's it's a complex thing and I'm a complex lady. Um, on a personal tip, right, uh, you know, what do you learn from being in the big house? Well, you know, take your medicine. There's donuts on Friday that, as Cohen says in his book, there is a partnership between psychiatric enterprise and insurance companies, you know, the employers that um, you know, seek coverage from the insurance companies and, oh, my fucking God, what you also learn is that awareness-raising people, you know, those people like in Australia there's a group called Beyond Blue right? Former Prime Minister Julia Gillard is now the chair or whatever their fucking head guy is, right? And they were sort of founded in the principle of depression can happen to anyone at any time. Although it does happen statistically to, you know, certain, uh, for longer periods to certain groups of the population, namely in Australia, uh, uh, Indigenous or First Nations people, right? But, um, you know, like, where was I? Look, it's just what you would say is overdetermined, right? Uh, there are many reasons for mental illness fulfilling a role that is both profitable and conceptually a useful idea for the people in power, right? I mean, I am actually mad. I was having – it was like so this fucking, you know, neoliberal hooray Henry white bother boys in nice suits from a pub in fucking Birchgrove, right, were having – a fuckboy party in my head, seriously. I mean, for some weeks it felt as though the territory of my head was invaded. I still felt 
as and this is another thing you learn at mental health hospital that most people in there are actually sane. Not we're not like the truly sane ones or anything like that, but we have long periods of being rational. What we suffer is symptoms, a bundle of symptoms that are then tied in to you know the things in the big Bible of mental disorders. Uh, the thing that is, you know, shown by some investigators to be influenced by a uh, big pharma, you know, who encourage uh, the introduction of new disorders uh, that happen to match whatever it is that they've been working on, and you, you know, you 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 do find that you know the people in there are actually you know, sane for long periods of time. Um, and then suddenly they might say, like the bloke um, uh, that I became mildly friendly with uh, next to bed 12, which was mine, um, I said, oh, you know, how are you, person X? And he said, everything's black and I want to hang myself. It, so, which I'm, I'm not making fun of. I mean, some of the thoughts, some of the things that I enunciated, not so much to uh, others, um, but to, you know, the doctors and the nurses uh, and, you know, people that I know well were equally as batty. And I might get back there at, at, at some point. But, you know, the other thing that you find is that these, you know, as I was saying before, like these awareness people why are they raising awareness in a fucking nuthouse, right? There's this day in Australia called Are You Okay? I find it repugnant on many counts. Interestingly, um, its first director also became a director of a group in Australia, uh, which is also uh, called uh, – um, was called Breakthrough Media – and now it's called Zinc Networks and they do a lot of work for, um, you know, the department of uh, that looks after putatively internal security, uh, the Department of Home Affairs. Uh, they make positive videos and whatnot um, commissioned by uh, the, you know, security people helmed in Australia by Peter Dutton was their name? Oh, look, maybe I'll write some show notes for a fucking change and tell you. Um, but, yeah, she went on to work for, for, for that. What's her name? I can't fucking remember. doesn't matter. Anyway, should have written a script, shouldn't I? Christ. Well, fuck you. You don't have to fucking listen, comrade worker. Um, nor do you have to uh, donate to my Patreon. And the fact that there are a few of you who still do after this long absence in which I've written nothing, recorded nothing, produced nothing but complaint and the occasional tweet about free fucking Julian Assange, right? Thank you. But, you know, fuck the rest. No, you're all my comrade workers. You just have to uh, understand that. Um, So are you okay, right? It's like this kind of like inept first aid for people with a mental illness and it suggests that you should ask people, are they feeling okay? And if they're not, I guess, you know, maybe suggest that they go and see a doctor or something. Notwithstanding the fact that uh, mental uh, illness and its treatment 
is uh, horribly underfunded in most of the West, but particularly in Australia, where as a percentage of GDP, our spending, uh, state spending on it is um, like pitiful, I think one of the worst, right, Um, of OECD nations, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, what are you supposed to do? You know, no, I'm not feeling okay. Well, the fu- what the fuck do you? So it rests on this idea that if we destigmatize mental illness, despite the fact that it's being written about constantly in the papers, in the mainstream press, uh, usually by the you know the well-to-do, for whom probably stigma is one of the greatest problems that mental illness presents. Now, I don't give a fuck. Like, everyone, you know, thinks I'm a cockhead who's bonkers anyhow. Everyone's given me the sack. I don't have a lot of money. I don't really give a shit. I mean, of course people are going to call me mad. I'm a fucking Marxist, right? And people, you know, I'm just quite used to being called uh, unstuck, uh, edgelord, upper self, everything that's wrong with the left, uh, you know, all, all of that. I mean, you know, I'm a badly behaved girl. What can I say? And I shit people. You know, some of us are just like that, right? So being called mad, I don't really care. I just didn't want to be suicidal. Anyway, these fucking – I was in the Aussie for Are You Okay Day and the fuckers came in and had a fucking barbecue for the fucking patients. You know, no one seemed particularly enthusiastic about it, but they were serving schnitz, so they did get some uh, some 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 comers, right? So, like, yes, people go crazy. Perhaps we don't know there are you know genetic or biological reasons for people going crazy, even if Johan Hari reintroduces the concept, which, by the way, is still observed by some psychiatrists, you know, many psychologists, they call it the biopsychosocial model, which takes into account not just the unprovable biological dimension of what we now refer to as mental illness. And remember, there's no blood tests, there are no biological markers. You can't uh, test for the range of mental disorders. Some, uh, namely um, the um, eating disorder uh, anorexia, um, which uh, afflicts around about uh, 1% of the total population, that there is some research indicating that there are genetic markers and, um, and, and physical evidence of those people who might be inclined to get it. Strangely, though, that's the one disorder, very dangerous disorder, by the way, that's the one disorder that everyone seems to agree is socially imposed. It's like, oh, skinny models. Um, but anyhow, yeah, look, fuck me. It's um, complicated uh, I do have uh, a good doctor, I reckon, and I made a friend, which you're not really supposed to do. I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, don't like connect with people 
who might call you up later and say, I'm going to kill myself when you yourself might have been having those feelings and basically anybody in a shrink hospital is sort of like, you know, going to be thinking about some form or enacting some form of self-harm. You know, you're not there because you're having a good time. But the friend um, that I made is a bloke who is an asylum seeker and uh, he – one of the reasons that I started talking to him is that I felt an extraordinary level of guilt because there were two guards from the international company Serco in there. And, um, you know, one of them had cuffs. I mean, there were two, there was many guards, but there was two at all times in my ward. It fucking freaked me out because, oh, look, boring, boring, boring. Part of the reason that I was in the shrink hospital, you know, there's many reasons overdetermined. Remember that word. Like, remember the thing about the crossword puzzle, right? And there being like one fact, one detail, one correct truth that does not explain the entire thing, right, which is not necessarily a conspiracy, although an element of conspiracy by different firms or individuals uh, might be involved, right? So it's just like one one, one part of it. But um, ugh, shut up, Helen. Yes, thank you, Knackers. Um, I felt really intense guilt um, because I had spent two days sobbing because I just thought, oh, my God, you know, like someone from the Melbourne mob in a witness protection program is here and that's why um, they're being protected. I mean, I didn't actually know that it was Serco, a company uh, known for its uh, – uh, it's, it's, it's primacy, it's leadership in the growing worldwide detention industry because they've got very good eyesight. But I did get my partner to read what their identification said and then I realised, oh, oh, my goodness, there's probably an asylum seeker in there. So, you know, um, off I go and just say, oh, look, I'm so sorry, like completely unnecessarily, I've been having these <laughs> terrible thoughts. Um, and the asylum seeker said, uh, you know, like this lovely, lovely bloke um, told me about, um, you know, how intensely guilty he felt too for having this kind of surveillance which w was not making people feel great and also was causing um, a lot of people, to, well, not all of them, but a lot of people to say to him, are you a fucking terrorist, right? And it's hard to be angry with somebody who has, you know, um, uh, an affective disorder <laughs> for being racist, you know. Uh, anyway, um, so that was interesting. That was really interesting. Um, it was a moment of introducing into my life um, ongoing heartbreak and learning about the companies uh, that manage the cruel, brutal uh, and at times just fucking expensive uh, industry of, um, of, of, of 
savage detention, but that was interesting. Um, it really was. This fucking lovely bloke. Really lovely bloke. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a bleeding heart social justice warrior. Just a really funny bloke. Also told me about the donuts on Friday. So interesting to listen to parts of his story, which I would very much like him to restate if it were possible and all legal and, you know, not a great danger to him at some juncture in the future about all of the elements that led him to get into a form of transport which is despised here in the racist quarantine stolen continent referred to on maps as Australia. How did he end up in a suburb in Melbourne in onshore detention. And also, why does the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre not necessarily provide so much support to people in onshore detention? I must ask them, because they do seem nice. Must be a reason, anyhow. These and many other questions are the sorts of things that occur to a mad lady. I mean, seriously, I'm fucked. I try to write something these days and I just, I just can't. And I don't know whether it's because I've become clinically stupid or it's more of a case of how other people feel when they've been injured at work um, and injured over time. You know, you just can't physically, emotionally, mentally approach the labour that you sold again and, um, you know, journalism is weird. So what was I going to say about journalism? Oh, it's fucked. That's right. Uh, this is a view held, isn't it, Knackers, with near unanimity, right? Like you could say to anyone, you know, is journalism in trouble and they'd probably have an opinion about it, right? And they'll always say that some part of it is in trouble. And it's just, so it's agreed with unanimity. It's People are in universal agreement that journalism, especially journalists, because their favourite parlour game is fucking talking about themselves, right? And I'm a journalist too, you know, <laughs> suited to the profession. Love, she loves talking about herself here on Knackers, Knackers, Knackers and the Vag, 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 a podcast rarely updated for the unhappy homemaker and worker in the international struggle against capitalist late country. Oh, I wasn't going to swear anymore. thought, like, maybe I've um, used up all my swear words. Um... So journalism, right? Like, why is it so shit? Um, well, some of it's not, right? I mean, mine is at the moment and, you know, it could be your opinion that it has always been. Uh, but there are moments of elation that a girl can enjoy, you know. There are certain, for me and perhaps for you, comrade worker, um, there are moments where you um, you know, consume uh, a, a piece of work and you think, oh, well, jolly good, that's marvellous and I didn't know that before. 
not like a, a lot of the stuff um, that is made to sort of reinforce, uh, you, you know, the uh, opinion and the lifestyle attitude of a, a, a readership or a viewing audience or a listening audience indeed, and I imagine mine is whittled down to about one now, but uh, the sort of journalism that does seek to inform. In saying that, there's this ideal or there's this ideal form of journalism, right, and that would entail things like, you know, courage, impartiality, being a member of the fourth estate and speaking on behalf not of those who govern but those who are governed. So it's an ideal. And in one sense, re- remembering what we've said about, you know, things being kind of like, uh, you know, structures that fall into place just because uh, they, they, they have to, um, you know, because that's what happens. It's a mass society. It's a bit like a traffic jam, like you can drive reasonably in the traffic on your own. I think that I'm stealing this from that guy from the 60s, Marcusa, uh, the best-selling member of the Frankfurt School. And fuck me, I like the Frankfurt School, so fuck you if you don't. <laughs> um, so Hubert Marcusa, um, who, you know, I think that he uses this analogy of, um, you know, the instrument of reason, right? So, you know, you can be in a traffic jam that is caused by the working day, right? Um, and you've done the sensible thing as a worker and left on time and you can be driving perfectly well and many other people can be driving perfectly well. Let's say 100% of them were driving perfectly well. There will still be delays. There will still be car crashes. That is overdetermined, you know, that is the result of many forces at play, just as is the journey of my friend uh, an asylum seeker and, you know, the history of psychiatric hegemony, you know, the concept of mental illness and how it's used and fucking whatever, you know? You know how people say, I'm an independent thinker? Fucking bullshit, I'm not an independent thinker. Seriously, everything that I think is the result of the situation in which I find myself uh, and what it might be favourable for me to say. I mean, as ridiculous as this podcast is and as much of my authentic self that might seem to be here, well, I'm still a speaking subject and within me and, you know, and words, right, speaking, the act of communication is not going to necessarily be authentic. Any fucking linguist knows that, right? Say things by accident, say things on purpose. You say things to try to shore up your position and fucking most of the time I don't say the right thing and right now I cannot put words on the page, virtual or otherwise, to make any sense. Anyhow, we could uh, we could go into... Um, language and, you know, this stupid idea that if you just use the correct language, then, you know, somehow you'll evoke 
the ideal truth, the facts, what you really mean. She can't ever do that, right? It's all a fucking load of shit. Fucking Christ, shit is so complex. Knackers, here on Knackers in the Vag, brought to you by a factory made bear and uh, the um, consumer worker with which he has a material relation, i.e. me. Like, there's all these fuckers, especially journalists, who seem to know the thing that should be done in order to fix the world. It's usually got to do with communication, unsurprising for those in the communication industry. Um, One of the big ones is let's just talk nicely. You know, let's just speak openly and truthfully and respectfully in debate club conditions. Because as we all know, every good thing that ever occurred for the many in uh, an oppressed population group in history came through the power of debate. And Nelson Mandela was never part of an armed revolution. This fucking bullshit about how uh, the legal fact of apartheid was ended because of nice words and forgiveness, ahistorical does not even begin to describe it. But so journalism, right? Like Now, I don't want to get into um, one of those things, although inevitably I will, because I am bonkers where, you know, you're doing this with a journalism, right? Where has journalism gone? What is a journalist? What is journalism? Well, I mean, it's shit, right? And uh, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing your name, comrade, incorrectly, but uh, Matt Taibbi, uh, the bloke that wrote Hate Inc., uh, most commonly seen in Rolling Stone, uh, he's got a podcast, writes some really enviable stuff. And uh, he's written a book called Hate Inc., which is actually quite... Uh, you know, I would say uh, a, a good, read-worthy uh, a, an analysis of journalism today. One of the traps that uh, Matthew does not fall into is to say, well, at one point it was much, much better. What he says is that, you know, journalism has, you know, a set of very contemporary flaws. Um, so it's a bit like when you talk about neoliberalism, right? So it's, um, you, you know, a particular version of something that is perhaps, you know, imminent in the broader form of organisation. But he doesn't, you know, he resists the lure of saying that there was a time where journalism was fantastic because fucking when was that? And don't give me Watergate, you know, because... I mean, big deal. What is it that um, Jean Baudrillard says uh, about Watergate? He compares it um, memorably in the first chapter of I'm going to mispronounce um, or get it in the, it, the, the title um, completely reversed, um, Simulacra and Simulations. Um, uh, so it's called the um, procession of Samulacra. You can get it free online. So he makes this really famous analogy between Disneyland and the real that surrounds it. Disneyland, it is Baudrillard's uh, famous contention, exists 
only to make the things surrounding it appear real. You know, uh, the main street um, of Disneyland serves to make, uh, um, you know, true the the things um, in in Main Street USA. Rather like you could say the concept, the uh, newly emerged um, concept of fake news implies that there is uh, truth. So you can get, say, somebody like um, Catherine Viner, the uh, lauded editor of The Guardian. I had dinner with her once. Um, nice lass. Shit, mate. Um, and, you know, she wrote about um, in a famously uh, uh, lauded piece um, about how um, technology disrupted the truth or whatever. Again, just one part of the story and I'd say um, a, a, a useless part of the story when compared to uh, uh, Matthew's work, um, manufacturing consent uh, by Chomsky. Like I've got my issues with 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 Chomsky, who's some kind of a narco liberal. Um, but you know, uh, that's a good co-authored book, which rests on the idea of consent and how um, that is um, brought to bear on particular uh, peoples as opposed to pure coercion. Borrows those ideas from your guy, Antonio Gramsci. Um, Just mentioning a lot of authors to um, make myself appear sane or knowledgeable. Really should have done notes today. So what the fuck was I talking about? I just, I'm so scattered. I do apologise. I just, I mean, I apologise to everyone. I apologise for actually being in bed. I am in bed. I did change the sheets. It was a, a depressive fucking rat nest of um, burger smells. And I did have a shower and I thought, well, I'll sit up and, you know, try and say hello, especially to the very kind and generous worker comrades who, for some fucking reason, give me the dosh on Patreon. But, yeah, I couldn't make it out of bed. I brought the tape recorder or the digital recorder, whatever the fuck it is, in here. So, you know, for me, you know, you read these overlong kind of like earnest New Yorker-style pieces which – talk about, you know, the, the, the things that are really imperiling journalism today um, or then you read, um, you know, the financial friend of Facebook, Peter Grester, known hitherto for being the author of a book about a baby hippo, right, um, <laughs> and also, um, you know, being uh, in, in, imprisoned for on the charge of false news. Um, under the LCC um, uh, government, one that was um, approved by the Secretary of State, John Kerry, I believe, at the time. What did Obama say? It was part of the difficult route to democracy. Anyhow, you know, uh, LCC, not good, as everyone agrees now, but necessarily didn't at the time. And it was terrible that, you know, he and two other blokes 
you know, got chucked in the big house for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But, you know, Gresta answers this sort of parlour game, what is journalism, by saying, well, I'll tell you, it's not Julian Assange. I mean, fuck me, right? Even if we agree that this ideal of journalism being the font of truth, the last ideological uh, piece of armour that we have in, you know, the, the, the fight for ongoing freedom, what the fuck is it in WikiLeaks that doesn't do that? And don't even get me fucking started on Sweden, right? What is there now? Three investigations about it. I actually don't have an opinion or have taken the decision not to have an opinion uh, about uh, the initial complaints of two women in Sweden about um, the charge um, as determined and uh, never laid or the crime uh, for which Assange um, has never been charged of sex by surprise, right? Like it's 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 kind of irrelevant, and I I am uh, I'm, I'm going off track here. Maybe we should um, save that. But it's just like it's not pro feminist to say that two women who may or may not continue to have complaints, you know, justice has not been served for them, right? And that's not because Julian Assange outweighed justice. Fucking read, you idiots, or fucking ask. Fucking Google and you will find that Julian Assange stayed to answer police questions in 2010. He did not leave Sweden without seeking assurance from the prosecutor Nye's office that he was free to leave. The warrant for his arrest on questioning was not issued until he'd left the country after being available for police questioning. And then this extradition rot happens and now the poor fucker is in jail and believe me or don't, he's fucking near death, you twats, and you're still fucking arguing in the paper. Like he's He's in, he's in the big house in a max security prison for, uh, you know, skipping bail, you know, for failing to address a warrant for charges that were never laid for questioning within an investigation that was dropped by the time fucking Assange gets to the magistrate. This is all fucking true. Right? Speaking of true facts, that's my 21 across. That's my right answer to your fucking bullshit imperial journalist fucking crossword. I'm sick of this shit. And, you know, it's a good part of it is why I went fucking bonkers. Right? It's just you feel sick all the time with these fucking hypocrites. Like, not only just because they give you shit. But, you know, and that's not fun. And not only because you get to the point where you're second-guessing what somebody actually might accept as work, right, you know, because you don't want to be too radical and you try to conceal your ideas, which is no help to anyone, and you try to conceal what you believe to be usefully true, you know, you don't maybe include all of the details in case you lose your fucking job or you can't feed yourself. 
it's like, I mean, not that, you know, I'm in Belmarsh prison. I had a few fucking weeks in the, you know, the nut house. But, uh, Jesus, you know, like, it's just, it's not pro-feminist. It really isn't. And nor is it, um, you know, I mean, I, I truly understand, especially for like a true activist community, like it's not like, you know, um, socialists, um, anti-fascist campaigners, people uh, who have, um, you, you know, justice based on the poisonous fiction of race as, you know, their primary target, like good people, right? Like so many times within those contexts, you know, you do get like a bloke or two who has done something fucked. And then you do get people say, oh, well, you know, but for the good of the revolution, forget that, you know, he goosed that chick, right? No, fuck no. Like I totally understand that, but I don't think that the two things are related. And anyway, look, the papers are full of shit about Assange and the question of even the question of, you know, does WikiLeaks reproduce, um, you know, true facts? Well, you know, of course it does. They've never had to print a retraction. No one has disputed uh, the, the, the documents therein. Most of the, you know, a good portion of the scoops uh, of not just this century but the last one have been offered by WikiLeaks. I mean, no one's really questioning that, are they? They're just saying, you know, I don't like the guy and I think, you know, national security comes before journalism. It's just, I mean, what the fuck, Gresta? Seriously, Peter Gresta also happens to be an Australian journalist, which is what it says on my uh, uh, trade union card. It's also what it says on, on Julian's trade union card. And I had occasion to speak with uh, one of his advocates, Mama Christine Assange, who is lovely and, um, you know, but that's by the by. I wasn't talking to her in a journalistic context. She was actually sending me a get well, series of get well messages trying to amuse me while I was in the nut house. And, you know, she and a few other people who know Mr. Assange have said that, um, you know, he keeps his Australian um, membership card of um, the uh, our, our journalism union here with him in his cell, you know, when he's allowed. I actually took mine into hospital as well. I looked at it because I was bonkers when I packed, right? And I, I looked at it to see if the word journalist was still printed there. Apparently so. Nonetheless, what is a journalist? Where is journalism today? What is journalism? This is a question considered but not actually considered by people in journalism, but one that is um, considered either by instinct or um, irritation, conscious irritation, or a form of, um, I don't know, what was I saying? Look, you know, most people would say that there's something wrong with some form of journalism. Probably you, definitely me, and, you know, there's a series of attitude surveys 
uh, taken uh, fairly routinely in the West about, you know, the public trust of news media. If fucks given could be measured, um, they would be dwindling as fast as circulation figures. And part of the reason for that is not just that, oh, well, you know, is, is not that, that, that journalists are biased, that they're paid too little, although that is um, a huge part of it, you know, that support or so-called support staff, things like sub-editors, you know, outsourced years ago to mega sub-editing factories like what, what is it, Page Masters, and then I, I believe that the readership noticed before uh, the people on the board of major media corporations did that something was awry when they did notice, you know, the lack of facts or you know, recourse to proper grammar. <laughs> what was the response? Conspicuous appointment of a fact-checking department. Check the facts. Check the facts. If you've got the truth and the facts, you know, all else follows. Well, it doesn't, you know. I can have some correct answers and some correct details and, um, you know, present them in a very partial way, right? Overdetermined. You know, there's a whole lot of reasons that one particular thing happens, like the example of the mental hospital, right? Um so what your fairly prominent um, neoliberal progressive type journalist might say, I've noticed, instead of overdetermined, they might use the word nuanced. I prefer overdetermined. Like there's, you know, for when I can't be bothered thinking, there's a lot of reasons for journalism being shit. And, you know, the particular kind of shit that it is in, in the present moment. You know, why does journalism um, have a particular fixity on certain things, right? Like in the West, particularly in Australia, there is an overwhelming obsession with China, right? And... Like, yeah, of course, there are very good reasons for you know, the spontaneous um, and ongoing now for, what, 10 weeks or whatever, resistance um, largely by um, uh, the middle class in Hong Kong. Like, I'm not saying, you know, China fucking rules, but why are we not getting news of, you know, the, the Great March of Return? which has been going for over a year in Palestine? And why are we not getting uh, news of those who resist the Macron neoliberal management firm in France with the yellow vests and now, um, you know, the black vests? Um, a, a spontaneous moment of, of, of solidarity ongoing for a fucking year. And why don't we get news of, you know, extraordinarily heroic acts of Aboriginal uh, or First Nations resistance in the continent referred to as Australia? You know, like there's some birthing trees just down the road from me and you, there's 
a group of um, comrades, you know, protesters, most of them Aboriginal, of course, who have selected this cultural monument made of trees and history, cultural history, to preserve it from planned roads by the Victorian government um, to make a broader case for ownership of Aboriginal land in law by Aboriginal people, right? It's fucking getting fucking fuck all coverage. So this moment of resistance about the very land beneath our feet in Australia is getting dick all coverage and, you know, people who in some cases are flying British flags you know, there are members of the of the Hong Kong resistance who are all like, oh, things were much better in colonial times, not the opinion of people who tend to live through them. You know, not that they're all like that. You know, comrades, one and all, well, you know, whatever. China's not a great place. But fuck me. Seriously. China, China, China. Here in Australia, it's like, oh, Russia, 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 Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Like, yeah, Putin, not my boyfriend. But in suggesting that some of that coverage is perhaps a little overblown, that perhaps it has the same function as Disneyland has in Baudrillard. Oh, I didn't finish that thought because... Um, you know, Baudrillard actually go, and I'm not going to finish this one either. I am mad. I am bonkers. Four, count them, four disorders or bundles uh, of symptoms from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Yes, fresh out of hospital. It's the discharge edition. What Baudrillard goes on to say in the book that you can see at the beginning of The Matrix, right? And Baudrillard did not like the way that the Matrix used it, you know, really didn't, you know, whole fucking red pill shit. So not Baudrillard. Um, He goes on to say that Watergate um, has a um, similar function to Disneyland, Watergate in the journalistic context. So you'll get all these people who love, love, love the idea, you know, the ideal, the pure form of journalism and they point to Watergate as an example of it. Now, for Baudrillard, Watergate, and, you know, think about, think about Watergate, right? It's a moment of now routine surveillance. It happens all the time. And, you know, nobody's shocked anymore. Well, I mean, probably, you know, they are when they consider it, depending on what stage of life they are, and uh, Generation Z's and younger millennials now accept surveillance as a fact of life and don't go around being the dickheads that my generation are on social media, right? They keep a lot of shit to themselves and good on your kids um, and particularly, you know, within political activity. Uh, so good on them. But so surveillance now absolutely common or um, – is this big thing, but not just in the context of the time, like spying on the opposition was, you know, ever a thing, you know, spying on some Democrats or courting some Democrats. And, you know, while it was uh, not unimportant 
piece of investigation, while it wasn't a trifle, what it did was serve the idea that the structure, you know, liberal democracy was fine and all it needed was some, you know, journalists to to call it out. Like, I mean, corruption is endemic, right? It's um, part of, of power. So I, I quite like that idea. Anyway, so, yeah, journalism, its fuckery is of a particular character now that is overdetermined. It is not nuanced, which is what people now say when they mean I can't be bothered thinking about it, such as a TED Talk, Um, (laughs) uh, you know, which are full of thought leaders. I don't know if, like journalists, that's an actual job, but you can um, get a journalist to teach you how to be a thought leader apparently. It's a whole business thing to – and you can also um, get people to teach you how to be um, vulnerable and and a thought leader as a – your member of the higher management class. Now, if when I think of thought leader, um, I'd expect it to be um, the name of an overlooked British horror film from the 70s, one involving paganism, you know, folk horror, one whose titular villain is perhaps um, an eight-year-old druidess with, you know, eerily blonde hair uh, who moves colossal stones with her mind. First, just into sun-worshipping monuments and then on top of people. Speaking of um, UK folk horror, Game of Thrones, um, there's something in Game of Thrones that I think helps us understand uh, one of the problems with journalism, right? Apart from the truth facts, Baudrillard, overdetermined, Julian Assange is a fucking hero, you fucks kind of stuff and you don't actually want the fucking truth you are sworn in your Twitter bios to fucking defend, cocks, hypocritical fucking cocks. Um, Game of Thrones. I'm not actually um, a uh, scholar of the uh, George R.R.R.R.R. Martin um, canon but I did actually watch the thing, not too bad. This was because um, a very nice editor um, asked me to review its final season. Unfortunately, I was going completely batshit crazy, but um, I did watch it, never submitted the review because, you know, you get to this place sometimes in any job where, you know, you just can't do it anymore. And I was just, you know, fucking second-guessing what people wanted um, but I would say Game of Thrones, not, you know, as awful as I thought it would be. Occasionally um, useful descriptions of power. I am getting somewhere about the Game of Thrones and journalism and not just that, you know, I didn't write the thing um, in part because, you know, if you don't write, even if your editor's cool about it, even if you don't write the expected thing, um about a thing of Game of Thrones in in this case, which was, oh, my God, aren't women leaders, aren't women in leadership uh, amazing and having a moment? Uh, What I actually wanted to write about was the tribalism and the, you know, obfuscating mysticism 
of Game of Thrones, which Thrones rather, which reflects the um, um, you know, the fragmented shards of being of our own time. But you know, I knew the thing that was going to go down um, acceptably um, was you know the strong women leaders of um, were steroids, and you know they're awful, aren't they? Like, isn't Game of Thrones nothing if not um, well? Softcore porn helps you have a tug, especially if, you know, tad of sexy incest is your thing. Um, but it is at, at times a critique, um, perhaps even unwitting, of leadership. As a document of um, how economies function, I'd say uh, it's pretty bad, although the Iron Bank is, um, and I, I did ask um, an economist, um, one whose specialty is debt, Steve Keen, if he thought that was good. And he did say, yeah, 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 the Iron Bank, but everything else is is, is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, how can you write good things about the lady leaders? I mean, um, Danny, you know, fucking she leads um, the Dothraki army um, into, um, you know, certain death, just lets them perish in the Battle of Winterfell virtually says fucking nothing and this is after totally white savioring them you know like little miss brutal act of colonization and then you know Cersei is a brother fucker a nightmare product of power whose dedication is to no one but perhaps you know sexy brother and the iron bank and then that fucking Stark kid with um the magic metal whatchamacallit knife thing you know, but I will say, um, Melisandre, though, don't call her in for babysitting. Fuck no. You know, the Red Queen. I feel okay talking about this because, you know, apparently a lot of people watched it. One of the reasons I didn't want to write about it because I just got so fucking triggered, I guess, by people saying that I was just like an edgelord you know, trying to draw attention to herself. Like everybody who isn't a journalist is, you know, we're all trying to draw attention to itself. But um, there was a thing that um, I can't remember which season, you know, where uh, Melisandra has um, the zombie baby, you know, the zombie fetus. That reminds me of journalism, like a thing that cannot be born, an ideal, right, that's always suspended in the inner womb of the Red Priestess's fucking anti-freezing amniotic fluid. It's so gross, that scene. I do not recommend you watch it if you are easily nauseous, um, but uh, easily nauseated or whatever the correct form of sick is. But, you know, so when you have an ideal, right, so pure idealism, the platonic pure forms, or the, um, the, you know, the idea that a lot of people have about, you know, the pure and true um, capacity that humans have for just like grabbing these things out of the air. It's idealism, right? It's not materialism. Like a materialist just sort of accepts that reality is a thing that is perceived by our senses, whether they be sober or not, that, you know, all we have is the ability to translate perceptions with our brain and make sense of it. Um, this is 
the great Marxist project, in fact. You know, he takes the ideas of the very great German idealist, uh, Hegel, who I've never fucking read, and, you know, uses um, the logical uh, dimension of the dialectic, you know, the conversation between one thing and another, and brings them into the material world and makes them a philosophy of use, a philosophy that is um, supposed to, as it says on Marx's headstone and in the, um, you know, 11th thesis, um, that uh, all philosophers have thus far interpreted the world, but the point is to change it. Now, you can't change the world if you cling on to this zombie fetus baby, right? Like the one that Melisandre has that is just too, uh, you know, it's like the ugly reification of, um, you know, this undead, un- unborn ideal, which I believe was created in sex and mysticism, which are both good things in the world, or, you know, sex and magic, which are good things purportedly in um, Westeros and, um, oh, fuck, what's that other country called? The one that they fucking keep colonising? Um, oh, you know, whatever, you know, you've seen it. Um that fucking called oh anyway look I'm not right so that these ideals can just be you know these pure forms right it's kind of like the fucking whole history of western philosophy um and and politics and fucking economics you know there's these pure ideals that that govern classical and neoclassical and neoliberal economics, right, that things will just achieve balance and capitalism is the natural outcrop of natural human exchanges and it speaks to our natural ideals of human being, which is to strive and to do better than previous generations. Like it's all just some shit, you know. I mean, are there pure ideals? Is there a pure form of something that can be realised? This is not to say, as in the case of journalism, that you shouldn't fucking try to be a bit better, that you shouldn't kind of like, you know, respect the best of your craft, but to hope for, you know, uh, a nanosecond that within conditions where, you know, the few hold power and the many do not, that journalism is ever going to be honest or ever deliver to, ever hand over to the people things that are for their benefit. And I don't fucking see a lot of that, right? You know, I mean, there's not actual conversations about how unions, for example, in this nation state and many others have just fucking rolled over and become run along neoliberal lines themselves. You know, there's just, you know, the doctrinal position of whether um, it's so-called left or so-called right, that is News Corp or The Guardian, New Yorker, Washington Post, etc. not really left, right? Basically just nicer neoliberals than the neoliberal nasties of the conservative, which is not really conservative, um, but, you know, extremely off its face, Murdoch Press, still a neoliberal one. Or as they would say in today's journalism, both sides, you know, 
the extreme ends of the political spectrum, which just means, um, you know, one fucking supporter of what essentially is um, the one-party state of liberal democracy and and the other, the nasty neoliberal and the nice neoliberal, right? And so within those conditions where the, you know, the, the, the predominant doctrine is not to even question the predominant conditions, i.e. all sides of the political spectrum or the idea of like uh, bipartisan um, being just, say, the democratic uh, party establishment and the GOP party establishment or in Australia a Labor, uh, uh, the Australian Labor Party, um, you know, which fucks itself like, um, you know, so say is a brother fucker because nobody else wants it. Um, I will say though, again, good part of Game of Thrones, like power feasting on the lure of its own flesh. I think this is a powerful metaphor for us all today here on Knackers in the Veg, right? Like, so this is the prevalent doctrine of journalism more now than ever before that things are fine, that things are right, that you know, the only thing wrong with power, if you're from the the neoliberal so-called left, you know, the New York Times and shit like that, is that the wrong people are in power. That the distribution of of power as a relation, like how much of it you have, not those still important moments of, um, you know, cultural power where you may belong to an identity group um, that, you know, fucking gets a kicking, not saying that's irrelevant, but in terms of there being like a power relation, a class relation class, and the working class is not an identity, right? It's a relation. It's arithmetic, if you like. I don't have any fucking power. I mean, I can get a little bit for myself because I'm, you know, fucking, well, I could have if I wasn't such so bonkers, you know, if I suck the right metaphoric cock and say the right things and try to, you know, conceal my, you know, a, a, a pro-state, pro-market view, um, like have it, but conceal that that is my view um, and appears as reason, not only to the audience, but to myself. I'm not very good at that. So, you know, like zombie baby, unborn thing, thing that can never really be, even if it is a product of the noblest ideas, that like lump of horror that Melisandre had, the, the, the red priestess, right? You can watch it on the YouTubes. You know, it's a horror show. It can never be. The ideal, pure form can never be. Idealism just strikes me as a waste of time. Um, I mean, you know, it keeps analytic philosophers in a job and it's certainly what some people, a lot of people believe. If we just hold up the noblest ideals of being human and really see the humanity of other people, then everything will be okay. What is journalism today and what is a journalist I don't know. I mean, 
as much as I dislike the ideal, uh, the, you know, the pure form, the very concept of the pure form, which is always born undead, Julian Assange is a lot fucking closer, right? WikiLeaks is a lot closer than anything that I can read much or view. I just, you know, but, you know, read Hate Inc., uh, have a little bit of a look at, you know, manufacturing consent. It's kind of distressing how accurate that work remains. But Julian Assange is a journalist. That's a detail omitted or forgotten by the press, challenged often, but it can be verified. His trade union membership card from the same union that I belong to says journalist. He's a journalist. I'm a fucking journalist. I'm not well, though, but not as sick as Julian Assange. Really, the guy's not well. As a fact, though, because you love your true facts, don't you, you fucking turds in the fucking press? The detail that Julian Assange is a journalist, according to the Australian Journalists' Union, whose um, award committee actually offered uh, him and WikiLeaks um, a prize for an outstanding contribution to journalism in the year 2011, I think. Not on their website anymore, um, but... You know, you can exclude that detail from a piece of journalism, even one where it might be helpfully present. Things can be true and they can be true facts. But again, just like the crossword, it can be a small part of the puzzle. In closing, I have made absolutely no sense to myself here on Knackers in the Badge. Um... Or uh, to the factory made uh, bear, or to you. But this is just some shit recorded in the bed of a fairy menopausal stack of shit, and you don't have to listen. But in closing, there is, I'm going to just like pick up an, an old arbitrary thing that you used to hear in newsrooms, right, where there were still, you know, copies of Strunk and White and it was a, an economic time, not, not so long ago really, like 10 years ago maybe, where, you know, there were certain rules that it had and some of them were good, like check your spelling and don't tell porkies and some of them were a bit, Silly. And one of them was don't, one that I heard a lot anyway, which was um, don't talk about, don't begin a story with mentioning the weather. Um, I don't know, perhaps you're far too young or sensible to have ever uh, seen the, the uh, film Throw Mama from uh, the Train, which is not as funny as I remembered it <laughs> to be, but. Um, uh, Billy Crystal plays a guy who is, um, you know, both a writer and a writing teacher, right? And he's got, he's, you know, fatally stuck, much as I am, in a moment of not being able to write. Uh, you might call it writer's block. 
and he is beginning his um, novel with a description of the weather. The night was and he can't go any further until Mama actually says that the night was sultry. And he, I mean, anyway, you have to know that particular movie. And unless you're a fan of um, this stupid 1980s comedy, which I'm not as a general rule, um, it, you know, I mean, don't don't bother. So it's sort of like, you know, there was a dark and stormy night. Like it's the idea that, um, you know, it, it's, it's tacky to start a, a, a work of um, reporting with weather. It's, it's a form of cheap drama. You know, if you can't make that account of a brutal rape discussed in traumatising detail, sing on its own, well, then you're being unethical. Fuck me. That's a whole other topic, isn't it? Having to read about, like, abuse in fucking technicolour detail. Jesus Christ. I'll fucking, you know, talking about overdetermined, one of the many factors that sent me potty was uh, me too. Thanks for all the re-traumatising and then not actually doing anything about it. You know, like actually making conditions safer for all people, including women people, at work. Where it might be nice if we didn't lose our jobs and work increasingly in fucking gigs and we actually had fucking human resource officers that were on our side when we said the fucking boss goosed me. But, you know, they can just sack us now, can't they? Anyway, you used to not be able to talk about the weather. Sort of like, it was a dark and stormy night. No, you can't say that, right? Okay, so a good good rule for an English teacher maybe to tell high school students or, you know, literature creative writing teacher because it might help you think about things that are less uh, hackneyed. But... You know, fucking the weather, well, a bit important at the moment, might kill us. Even so, right, that was a rule that didn't actually serve to do much that was useful. It's gone now. But journalism is uh, Matthew Tiabi, I'm sorry, Matthew, very eminent person. I don't know where the I comes in your name because, um, you know, I'm a bit tired and over-medicated. So the sort of like the dark and stormy night rule, you know, avoid weather, weather is taboo at all, at all costs, ceased to function. It wasn't a rule to, you know, make the craft better. The only thing that it elevated were those in the newsroom who already felt quite lofty about the profession. You know, petty etiquette, like the mystery fish forks that I presume one finds it um, aristocratic dinners, right? So the point of knowing um, the custom and the practice of journalism, right, which is not a thing that exists in the ideal, not a thing that can actually exist or has existed, so a priori and a posteriori, like some actual bullshit in the real world. So the point of knowing the petty etiquette is to identify those who don't, right? So these little rules about journalism, it's a game of exclusion. It's a parlour game, right, that serves its master's ego, something that you might call toxic, to use the lingo of the uh, liberal. And that's sort of like what I see 
in the popular accounts of where is journalism? What next for journalism? What is a journalist? What is journalism? You know, like not only the ones that say, oh, Julian Assange, not a journalist, and then go on to say a lot of hugely incorrect things about what WikiLeaks has done, you know, I mean, the most ridiculous of which is WikiLeaks is biased. I mean, what the fuck? Have you ever seen the news? <laughs> Seriously? Oh, my God. Fuck me. Anyway, um, so that's what it's like and that's what the, you know, accounts um, of journalism and where it's gone wrong with the exception of, you know, good journalists um, are mostly alike. Um, finally, I, I would like to say that, you know, comrades on the actual, you know, material or historical materialist left – don't always get it right either. I have the idea of that the truth and the true facts was actually presented to people that the people would see reality as it was at once with their sober senses. Now, this ignores the fact that I am on drugs in order to handle reality and it is a reality that is best handled with the, the most prevalent ideology, which is to believe that everything is okay, right? So say, you know, you tell somebody, as I do, because I'm very boring many times, no, don't go to Eurovision um, in Israel because the BDS movement of Palestine has asked you not to. And, you know, they still go and they still broadcast from there and they still don't, you know, critique the powers, the US-backed powers of the Israeli state. And they were like, oh, you know, music and art, it's above reality. Well, fucking nothing is above, like, material, the material world. The struggle of um, First Nation peoples, the struggle of, um, of, of Palestinians, you know, ongoing since 1947, right? It's not that... It's unknown. It's not that the yellow vests are unknown. It's not that the fact that we live in, you know, surveillance state, um, a surveillance culture is unknown. And it's not as though you can't find out that information. But what the fuck? You know, in order to survive, a person has to maybe go to the mental hospitals, be nice to the detention institution that is holding them, you know, fucking keep a gig, fucking keep alive, right? And you're so busy with the work of that, of being, remember, it's a relation, not identity, a working class person that is somebody who needs to be perceived as productive or be productive, like in order to survive, as opposed to, you know, the class that can just live on investment and what have you, or is a member of the, the policy class, like you're all fucking working class, right? They fucking handle it. I mean, there's categories within that, but we're all comrades. We're all working class and that includes those who are underemployed, unemployed, believe me, you are fucking performing an essential function 
for this fucking liberal democracy joke, right? You know, without you, it wouldn't be such other cheap wages, would there? You know, and without those who produce other workers, that is the caregivers and what have you, you know, the the, the people who so selflessly do low-paid or unpaid uh, labour for that fucking basic thing that we all really want to do but alienate ourselves from, which is care for fucking people, even ones who might be a bit nasty like grandma, you know, like you find out the truth, the true facts, the facts that don't care about your feelings, and then what? So you're in a position to rise up and do something about it, like you can smash the falsehood. You can smash right through. But unless you're able to see with a truly optimistic will the possibility of real change to actually look at the nature of the current crisis, and journalism is just one of many liberal institutions which is headed in some way unless something happens, you know, there's some countervailing tendency, which is headed for ruin, right, you know, or must mutate. And certainly we should mention, as I have not before, that at no time in history has, you know, this uh, allegedly pure and true thing called journalism been owned by such few enormous corporations. But what are you going to do if you find out that something is true? What are you going to do with it? Unless you're placed to understand the news that is not actually, you know, being provided of all the struggles that are analogous to yours in the world, what are you going to fucking do? Seriously? Like I read a lot of stuff and, you know, the people mean well that it's just like, you know, um, the ideological apparatus of the press, when it is stripped bare, everything will be different. Well, that's just the fucking sort of thing a journalist would say. The fact is that unless there is change by a mass, as much as I value what I consider genuine or, or useful reporting, such as that on what is occurring in Kashmir, which is I think unmistakable from the thing that uh, we might call fascism. I mean, fucking Modi, what a prick, right? But what is it going to do? Like, I guess I'm a bit depressed and now you might be too, but I do think, um, and it could be um, the effects or talking, that there is a reason, a reason to have some optimism. Um, false hope you know, just ask my asylum seeker mate, right? Like, that's no good. But genuine optimism that the world can change, a genuine hope that journalism aside, uh, we can recognise the struggles of, you know, other unhappy homemakers across the world as our own. Like, of course, I'm not fucking saying that I live like a First Nations person. I'm a white fucking honky, you know, and I've had jobs at times, not for very long, but, you know, had a, you know, more proximity to the power than your average bear. And people used to give me um, cocaine for free, um, which happens a lot 
in the media and entertainment industries, or at least it did back in the 90s when they could put it on their credit cards. But what changes? You know, the thing is, the change all starts with you. No, it fucking doesn't. Fucking change starts in, you know, with change. Oh, shut up. I don't know what I'm talking about. Journalism in the stinker in a new and interesting way. Uh, My brain, uh, my abilities as a writer and reporter, also in the stinker in uh, a not terribly interesting way, just some garden variety, um, you know, chronic um, major depressive disorder, with a touch of suicidality, which we've now overcome. I've made no sense. Then again, who fucking does these days? Free Palestine, you were standing on Aboriginal land. Um, uh, oh, fucking free Julian Assange and free Chelsea Manning. Not just my neoliberal progressive friends from the indignity of being dead named, although don't fucking do that, but remember that the very heroic Chelsea Manning, at whose side you stood for five minutes at the, the, the time of her incarceration for 35 years for allegedly giving files, one of which was the collateral murder video, to WikiLeaks, Chelsea Manning is again in prison for refusing to testify against WikiLeaks to the Department of Justice. So the fact that she is uh, at times deadnamed is egregious and horrible and just don't be a fucker and just don't be a transphobic tit. Like seriously, how basic is that on, on this and many other matters, me and the neoliberal progressive crew agree. But you stand at her side at this moment as well, motherfuckers. Journalism is in the stinkhole. The future of natural resources cannot just belong to the few, even green, even and especially so-called green power, And, um, yeah, journalism uh, will not now, under current conditions, uh, save us just like it has never saved us. Never before. Thank you. And I'm just talking now in the hope that I will say something snappy and revive that last remnant of, you know, my productive sanity. It won't happen, so goodbye from Knackers the Bear. Uh, Sorry. Comrade Worker and Comrade Worker Producer for the mic noise in this, but I just can't get out of bed. I'm hoping to do so in um, 20, what is it, 2020. Oh, fuck me. It's going to be Elizabeth Warren, isn't it? I mean, you know, whatever. It's all fucked. But never extinguish the light of your optimistic will As our man Gramsci said while he was in prison, like Julian Assange and my mate, another uh, asylum seeker in detention, you know, 
what was I going to say? Oh, anyway, yeah, they're in prison, just like Julian, just like Graham she was. Um, when, when he wrote down the thing that is um, usually uh, formulated as this recommendation, optimism of the spirit, pessimism of the intellect. Good advice. Revolution is really a form of self-help if you want to think about it like that. Um, uh, good evening, comrade. I'm so sorry. It's the best I can do. You've been listening to Knackers and a Vag. <laughs>